Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you guys from the close of UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi, UAE with a headlining lightweight title fight between Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira. Makachev going out and subbing the submission king, the jiu-jitsu master, Charles Oliveira, to win the lightweight title. And uh, it was a a dominant performance from Makachev, honestly. Like, Oliveira had... You know, you can't you can't say he was never in the fight because he's he's a good aggressive fighter who takes whatever chances he gets. He's always there to to push things. Even before he got knocked, even before Oliver got knocked down, it felt like the pressure he was putting on was starting to get Makachev just a little flustered, mm-hmm. maybe just a tiny bit. You could see him like starting to swing a little more wild, starting to be a little more like, ah, oh, God, you know, I, I don't want to be moving backwards while I'm throwing so much. Especially uh, when Oliveira started to stuff the takedowns. Yeah, yeah. And Makachev wasn't able to easily get them. It's like, yeah. well, maybe I can't just come out here and ragged all this guy. You know, yeah. maybe he, he is actually, ha- actually has some pretty solid takedown defense. And I need to I need to go to something else. I need to yeah. show some dimensions to my game. And I, you know, the boxing of Makachev was on point tonight. Yeah, like, he was he definitely was fully, ready. Yeah, just fully committed to his punches, just stepping in with conviction and and not leaving himself overexposed too much early on. And the big thing was that he was he was clearly ready at least for a while to be on his back foot and plant and land counters with an opponent that he knew was going to be pressing him, you know? Yeah. He was very much right. Every time Oliveira stepped in, he walked himself onto a lot of big shots right out of the gate. Um, The thing, you know, like I was going to say, like you can't really say that Charles Oliveira was never in the fight, but you do, you kind of have to look at it too over the two rounds that like, Charles Oliveira was not in the fight a lot, you know? No, he did his best work in the clinch where yeah. Makachev couldn't get the takedown and Oliveira was sneaking in those elbows and some yep. knees to the body. That's where he was going to win the fight. Yeah. I didn't know that going in, but, like, yeah. that's what that was the only area he was finding success. Yeah. And maybe, maybe like, a freak flash submission somewhere on the ground, possibly, but... But he never got I'm, close. It wasn't, you know, none, none of the submissions he tried. Came. Not remotely close. No. So this was a great fight from Islam Makachev. Um, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to say I'm surprised. I picked him to win. I picked him to win because I figured he could get on top of Oliveira and stay on top of him. But he looked great out there. And he the, the fact that he looked so good and so calm and so controlled standing for as long as the fight was standing too, like that's a big mark in his favor. It's going to be tough to beat him, that's for sure. It's going to be real tough to beat him. No, I mean, Oliveira fought well. Yeah. Like, when he hit that, the he used the deep half guard to scramble back to his yep. feet. I was like, was okay. Nice. Yeah, I was I was impressed. And um, what impressed me even more was, unlike most of Charles's other opponents, 
soon as Makachev realized he got the knockdown, he didn't even hesitate to jump yeah. down in, onto the ground with him. Like yep. he said he would. He's made of his word. Yep. He did not um, – he, he didn't respect the ground game of Charles. He didn't see it as, as this boogeyman that, that everyone else was so afraid of. Yeah, you and know? I mean, that was something we were talking about in the Vivi. I got to credit Connor, too. He, he called that out that, like, you know, Oliveira had – he has really benefited from that in recent fights that people weren't following him to the ground because he could get hurt, and then he could just hang out and recover for a minute. And people weren't – they – you know, they weren't willing to test him. They weren't willing to find out how hurt he was. And Makachev, he got him hurt. Or Makachev, and, uh, you know, he had no hesitation of being like, okay, well, I'm hurt. I'm going to put you away now. And the opportunity was there. Yeah. He obviously, uh, you know, stole somewhat of a page out of uh, the the grappling guru that is Paul Felder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like you can you can put Charles on his back and do damage and yeah. you know you don't have to be afraid of his ground game if he's rocked and and not on yeah. your back and if you're if you're just being tight and controlled with what you're doing I mean we've seen we you know we've seen Kevin Lee have success on top we've seen Felder we saw Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas you know like it's it's been done it just guys out there like. Poirier and Gagey and, uh, you know, these these other top flight lightweights out there, they don't have that, you know, Chandler, they don't have that that trust in their grappling games. Oh, I'm calling this a club and sub, by the way. Yeah, no, that's a club and sub yeah, 100%. Yeah. This is a club and sub. There was a little bit of a transitional period, but this is a club nah, and sub. Yeah, it's it, it counts. I mean, I know the club and sub yeah. is technically kind of there for the, like, you hit them, they shoot, you sub them. But if you right. hit somebody and you follow up with a quick sub because they're stunned, that's that that's the definition every time. Yeah, this was this was fantastic. I thought Islam yeah. rose to the, the occasion, and I couldn't help but feel all the pressure on his back. I mean, yeah. you're you're in Abu Dhabi, you know, you're, you have Khabib, like the, the, one of the goats of lightweight. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a lot of discrepancy there, but you know, having him in your corner, uh, I, I believe the broadcast said that they spent a million dollars on this training camp. Mm-hmm. So you got all this riding on you, this, this, uh, you got a lot of people, especially fighters saying that he didn't even deserve to be in there with Charles Oliveira because he didn't earn it. Which so, is hell. I mean... Yeah, yeah. but be, being able to overcome all that and still perform and rise to the occasion and not be dwarfed by the situation, I mean, that's that's championship material. That's... that's I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the way he handled it all. Yeah, and I mean, that's a camp, too, that they very clearly... They put a lot of pressure on themselves that we don't see as an outsider, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, with Khabib, it was very clearly, like, there is a whole bunch of pressure for, like, family legacy here. Want to please my dad, want to hit this record, want to hit this goal. These specific Mm -hmm. things that he was trying to do, go undefeated, all this stuff. And with Makachev, like, out there, after he wins the belt, like, he turns around, he dedicates, he hands it to Khabib, and he's, like, dedicating it to him. And, like, you know that that's a ton of pressure, too, to be putting on yourself of being, like, prepared I am going to win this title for you, my mentor. And like, not just because I'm out there chasing gold. They, they definitely, 
they put a, a, a serious weight of expectations on themselves. And No, for sure. That's where the fear is, right? Yeah. So, I mean, when I did my MMA fight, my number one fear was letting down my team, letting down my coaches, like going out and embarrassing them and not performing or not um, not showing what I what I had been drilling and studying and practicing. And that was the number one fear for me was just letting those people down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to 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 overcome that at this level. Yeah. is that's extremely hard to do just mentally, physically. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the hardest things in sport. Mm-hmm. So hats off to Islam, man. He, uh, yeah. there's a lot of hype and he fulfilled every bit of that. Yeah. So and there's a new, also, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new sheriff in town. It's worth noting too. This is probably like, really, you want to talk, there, there's all those internal pressures. There's also one big external pressure, which is, that when the UFC was on the cusp of something big and delivering a big star into a former longtime uh, financial business partner, what they what is almost a second home for the UFC in Abu Dhabi, Khabib, like he went and retired, like in a way that you could tell it threw a lot of plans into disarray. Like Dana White spent a year just telling people, no, he's not really retired. It's okay. He'll be back. Right. Yeah. Oh, he tried his best. Yeah. He did everything he could. And so, you know, that there was a huge weight on Makhachev's shoulders for the UFC. Like, no, we need you to be the star in this market. Yeah. You got, you have the, the, the Habib connection. We need that. We need that to stay here. That's important. So mm-hmm. there's a lot riding on it, and all that. And the there's now there's already another title fight booked. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think what was that? There's a Perth card coming up in February, beginning of February. That's they basically just announced that fight for that card. Sweet, that's pretty good. That's that's when we're getting uh, Robert Whitaker and Borashina. Mm-hmm. So that might be shaping up into a stacked card. Yeah, that's fun. And like, I, I like the fact that uh, Volkanovski was ringside and they brought yeah. him out. And yeah, I'm perfectly content with him getting the next shot. I love me some Benil Dariush, believe me. But I mean, champ versus champ is always going to win out. Yeah, and I mean, it, credit to them too, because I think they tried to do the smart thing, which is that they gave Mkhachev his moment. Mm-hmm. They didn't actually, they didn't go bring Volkanovsky out to the cage. They right. were like, oh, he's in the audience. We got a message for him. And then Mkhachev was like, no, bring him here. Bring him into the cage. And well, he's like, he's so short, I can't see him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah I know. But like, they, they, I mean, I was paraphrasing to be nice, but he no, made a fun we're, joke we're out of it. We're There's no yeah. business being nice. We we're it's just spitting facts. It's true. But he, he took it a little dig at him. But uh, it was it is a great thing to build that rivalry right there, to sell a new fight coming up. I'm always interested in the tight champ versus champ. You know, and I love the idea of Volkanovski going up at lightweight and trying to. I feel bad for Darius too, but he is the kind of he knows Darius very clearly knows this because he's he's talking like it in his post fight speech for his win, which we'll get to in just a minute. But he's out there like, yeah, if I have to be ten more people to get this title shot, I'll do it. 
I don't care. Dariush knows that he is the kind of guy that the UFC... He, he's like, he's like Bala Muhammad. He's a back pocket contender. If there's right. nobody else, the UFC will give you that title shot. If there's anybody else, you're probably going to be in the back of the line. Right. So it's tough luck for Dariush, but he's willing to fight anybody and everybody. And uh, that puts him right where the UFC wants him, which is the ability to book somebody else. You know? Man, Makachev looks so much bigger than Volkanovski out there. Oh, yeah. No, it's. I don't think – I'm not going to pick Volkanovski to win that fight, but nah. I like seeing a fighter willing to take that risk and make that test of themselves, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was something I loved about Max Holloway is he's yeah. so willing to go up and fight. And Yeah, and, and I mean, Volkanovski is running out of people to fight at 45 anyways. Yeah, yeah. So – Keeps things interesting. Holds up the um, – it holds up Featherweight a little bit, but that's okay. The only person I've heard really moaning about it is Henry Cejudo, who's now talking like, oh, I don't even want to come back to the UFC anymore if I can't fight Volkanovski right away, which, okay, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, I guess that's a good segue to bring up how Aljamain Sterling is is down to fight Cejudo. Yeah. No. After, to after do, Aljo, to do, I believe I don't I don't know. To do. <laughs> to do and it's so uh, childish. I, I love it. What, what was the the he, Cheeto Dorito and uh, <laughs> then uh, I can't. Oh, sugar tits. That was it. That was the that that, that was the masterful piece of eloquent rhetoric. Honestly, you, it's you, the that. best shit talking I've ever heard from Aljo. Well, you, that's a low bar. Well, still. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not saying you clear it, but that is a low bar. So before we get into all of his post-fight call-outs and whatever, I I I was talking to our producer about this before we got started, but the UFC kind of like, A, Sterling versus Dillashaw never should have happened. Why? Because Dillashaw's shoulder was dislocated before the bout, and everybody knew. Oh, you meant from, like, a medical standpoint? Yeah. Okay, I yeah. thought you meant, like, a merit standpoint. No, not a merit standpoint. I was fine with the fight from merit. I liked the fight. I liked the booking. I even yeah. Dillashaw to win it. From a medical standpoint, going to this bout never should have happened. Absolutely not. And the fact that it shouldn't have happened... Like, I'm not one to go out and defend the degenerate gamblers of the world out there at all. You know, you you bet money, you take risks, this happens. But people who bet on Dillashaw have to be feeling incredibly pissed. Because that is shady as hell, not just from him, but from the UFC. Mm, I don't know, dude. This is fighting. Like... But the um, like Bisping was hold on. Bisping was out there fighting with one freaking eye. Like there are so many cases that you have no idea about where fighters battle through injuries to come out there and get a paycheck. But we knew Bisping only had one eye. That was like after the fact. We knew it through at least the last. We we didn't know the full extent until after the fact. But we we knew, especially going into the Gastelum fight, we knew around the GSP and those last like two or three fights. We knew that. Right. But the point point being is, 
is there are countless fighters who do whatever it takes to make it to the fight. And yeah. we never hear about their injuries because they don't always surface the in the fight itself. The man's hey. arm was like gone. There yeah. was, it, it was, it was functionally. I put it to you this way for, for every degenerate gambler that lost out because Dillashaw's injury. Yeah. There's just as many degenerate gamblers who cashed in on the live betting odds when they saw his shoulder go out and quickly placed their bets on Aljo. You know, that there's that, but I will, I'm just saying the UFC basically they put on like a fixed fight basically. No, Zane, get out of here with that shit. They knew knew Dillashaw had no chance in hell winning this fight and that he was too injured to be medically cleared, and they threw him out there to put into into the fight, and they didn't tell anybody. I'm not going to sign on that for one bit. I'll go one step further and say that the MMA gods, uh, they have providence for Aljo. They do. The DQ awarded him the belt. no, the split decision went over Peter Yan was people, divinity. That was divine intervention. And, people uh, got to find sure. out what kind of what kind of sacrifices Sterling is making because they are working. Like, I don't know how many. You know, I don't. I don't know what under what moon he is killing what animal, but <laughs> that is absolutely a hundred percent working for Aljamain Sterling. I'm just saying, it is really, really. Like just poor practice all around. You you got a fighter out. It was he he injured this six months ago. He's talking in the cage. He dislocated it twenty times. I'm not sure I understand your point. So he shouldn't have fought. Absolutely not. So no. it's like, all right, TJ, don't don't go out there and get your payday. Don't put food on your table because your shoulder's dislocated. So in the name of sport, just sit on the sideline. Like, no way. Yeah, absolutely. That's what regulators are there to do. I mean, this is this is this is what we want regulators to do. If the man had a broken leg and was like, no, I want to go out there and get paid. He'd be like, no. But if he can if he can make it to the cage and and clearly start the fight with no issue. He did not clearly start the fight with no issue. That that shoulder was screwed up the moment that fight started. Once contact was made, sure, but I don't know. I I feel like you're making a bigger deal out of it than no. Uh, it was it was a non-fight. It was not competitive, and it was booked. And it was it was happened so far out that I can't believe for a moment that everybody involved didn't know. Even if they did know, like so what? The show must go on. Like this is prize fighting, Zane. These dudes are out it's here trying to feed fighting, their families. Not pro wrestling. That's my point. Yeah, exactly. That's it's some pro wrestling BS. That is some like. We've put, we we all know you can't compete out there, but you know we'll go out. You go out there, earn your check, and uh, we'll you know we'll we'll put it all together next time. Mm, I don't know. Yes. I mean, Dillashaw might not even fight again. Yeah, he might not, because this was stupid. So, if he went out there and got one last payday, well, I'm completely fine with that. If it's if it's just all about talking about Dillashaw and his money. Man, he he can do whatever he's got to do, you know. I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not blaming Dillashaw. I am saying that we are supposed to have like the idea of a sport is that you don't you you book things you do things competitively. You try to make competitive things happen. The the further you get away from trying to host a competition, the less you have a sport. But I don't. I mean, 
you see guys in the NFL like hurt themselves badly, go in the back, get an injection, come back out, and all of a sudden they're making these crazy plays, and you're like, wait a minute, you yeah, just twist well, your ankle? If, if they want to go give Dillashaw a bunch of injections, he's no stranger to that. They can make that happen. Maybe but... that did happen to get him out there. I just, I, I guess I don't care any, as much. Like, he did the not dude make any miracle make... plays, is what I'm saying. They threw a dude who was too hurt to fight. Who are you blaming? Here? Who am I blaming? I'm blaming. Well, I gotta blame the UFC because it's their commission. They didn't. They hired all the the doctors. They hired all the officials. They brought everybody out for this. They are in complete control over the event. So, but if if uh, if Dillashaw uh, his shoulders popped in, like yeah. how can you how can you be like oh you're not clear to fight because of why? Like how does I, I don't see how literally wouldn't stay in the contact in in the in the socket for more than one moment's contact. But like who prove how do you prove that though going into the fight? You you have all the evidence you need to prove it. You could pop but it how? back in and out every moment. All but it's not like doctors during your like, physical they check to see if your arm pops in and out. That's if, not he, if you know his shoulder is dislocated, you can do an X-ray to see how how bad the dislocation, how bad the injury. But who, like who though? The UFC. Like, they've got doctors. They've got money. They're in Abu Dhabi. You think that place doesn't have an X-ray machine? No, but I think that the UFC isn't in any hurry to spend any kind of money to not make fights happen. I know they're not, and that's why I'm saying that this is a sham. Nah. Yeah, I think it just it's, it's a, a sham it's the nature fight. of the it's beast, sh- man. It's a sham fight. I don't it, it can be the nature of the beast, but it's a sham fight. I don't know. There's plenty of fights where guys go out there when they shouldn't. And sure. We, and we, we never This is pour. this is the one of the worst that I have ever seen. I have rarely if ever seen a fighter more injured in a bigger fight. But it's also like a weird injury because you know a dislocated shoulder is one of those weird ones where it's you know, it, when it's out, it's the end of the world. When it's in, it looks like nothing's wrong. Yeah, but it happened 20 times in six months. It, it, there's, like I said, I don't believe for a moment that nobody knew that what was what was going on here or not. I mean, from the UFC's perspective, it's like, you want to fight or not? You got all your medicals? That's all I need from you. You fight yeah, or you're I'm not saying, So, so get, whoever gave him those medical, that medical clearance, they are absolutely that was but, but that's what i mean when like he goes to get his physical and his arms popped in like how are the how is the physician gonna know you think he's just gonna be like well i popped my shoulder out dog that, you that's what I'm, and make so, me not fight you, you th- so you think nobody knew all the way up to the fight that his shoulder he had this shoulder injury i'm sure plenty of people knew but i don't think um anyone who was in a position to not make the fight happen knew or cared enough to not they, they didn't care happen. enough they didn't care enough. they knew he told the ref right before the bout like he, everybody there was ample opportunity here for some people to just be like no we don't we're not doing this you can't fight and he couldn't and that was it was clear zane did you lose money on this fight No, I, <laughs> i'm just saying that this is you know this, this is this is just, it's bullshit. It's not a fight. It was not a fight. It was not a competitive contest. It was a walkover that got people paid. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at it, dude. I Sorry. Know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not, you're not. You don't have to be mad at it. You just can't tell me it's something else that it's not. What, a big deal? I don't think it's no, that big of a deal. It, it's, it's definitely a big deal to some people. To who? people who lost a lot of money on it 
that's their problem. Don't bet on fights. I know. So I know. This, this I know. is the perfect reason why you shouldn't bet on fights. It is. It is. But you know, you got a right to be mad. Is what I'm saying. Because people knew and they were happy to take your money. Yeah. Should have bet the other way. <laughs> I don't know what to tell them. You don't have. Why are you trying to? You're trying to like be the problem solver here. You don't have to be. You just have to let me be right. That's it. All right. Anyways, that brings us to another Bantamweight bout. Sean O'Malley, Peter Yan. And um, I scored this for Yan. I yes. thought there was a chance that every that Yan round won every round. Just a chance. Not, not saying it was definitive. Rounds one and three were damn close. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a problem with Sean O'Malley getting it 29 28. Because rounds one and three were damn close. And Jan got hurt. He, you know, this was not a fight out there where you can be like, oh, well, he didn't take the damage, so he should get the win. He absolutely took a lot of damage. Yeah. Yeah, this was tough. I definitely had Jan winning. I think he just did more in every round. Yeah. Um, 29-28 seemed legit to me. Sure. Um, I don't know. So whatever Aljo did, I feel like Jan has the exact opposite. Yeah. The Do MMA not, gods whatever, smite him at every turn. Whatever Jan is sacrificing, you do not want, like, do not touch whatever his ritual is. We need to get or he needs to start a ritual. Uh, no, this is this is spite. There, he, he is doing something wrong. He is at <laughs> anger gods. This isn't just simply he's not out there praying enough. He is actively under, undermining the uh you know the his value in the market it's so wild man like we could easily be living in a universe where we have not seen peter yon lose inside of the ufc mm-hmm. but he's lost three of his last four now and it's like that's just that's mind-blowing to me it's it's weird it's like a mandela effect or something i don't know but yeah, I think I think the biggest thing here is the fact that O'Malley showed up. He did. He fought. This is a dude who has pretty much his entire UFC career looked like a front runner. He looked like a guy who he goes out and he starts busting you up early. And if you don't go away or if you don't get busted up early, he doesn't really nothing else happens. You know, his fights with Terry and Ware and Andre Sukumta were both fights that he started really hot and got more and more difficult as they went on. And uh, then, you know, he had the Vera loss. The... Well, not the Sukumta fight. That was a crazy low IQ fight for Sukumta because that's when he hurt his ankle. It was like on yeah. one foot hobbling out there. And Sukumta just kept taking him down for some reason. Yeah, well, either way, it was still like, you know... O'Malley starts out hot and something happens. Right. If he if he gets behind, you don't. Tr- I didn't trust Sean O'Malley to rally. And Peter Young, like he he went out there and he hurt him, and he had him in all kinds of trouble. And Sean O'Malley rallied back. Every time he got taken down, he fought his way to his feet. Every time he got hurt on the feet, he stepped back in and landed landed something of his own. And you know, you can even tell that it, it was a hell of a struggle for him because he sounded he sounded shook up afterward. Mm-hmm. He was on the mic and he's like, I've never been hurt that bad. I don't know if I won or not. I guess I need to watch it back. 
Uh, you know, he's not, he, they're asking him, he's like, he's like, I know people want to see me be Bantamweight champ, like the least convincing, I want that belt, I'm coming for it. Like, yeah, no, nah, he just learned a lot about himself. It's yeah. like he, he talked about going to that place, which is very similar to what Izzy, Israel Adesanya was saying after his Gaslam fight, where uh-huh. he had to really dig deep and go to a dark place. And um, that's when you, as a fighter, that's when you really learn about yourself and learn if you have it. And O'Malley has it, man. What really impressed me was his ability to get back up and uh-huh. deal with those takedowns. Yeah. And, and even even when he would spend some time on his back, he would find a way to get back up more yep. often than not. And that's that's not easy to do. So no. credit to him for being able to fight off such a varied attack, a well-rounded attack. Yeah. I still think he lost. <laughs> yeah, he might have, but he got real. He, he got real lucky in that potential. He might have not just because he didn't lose a fight that he might have lost, but um, because Aljamain Sterling also won and has beat Corey Sandhagen and has beat uh, and won't fight Merabdvajvili. And has beat Peter Yan, and twice. Yeah, twice. And well, ish. But uh, Aljamain Sterling needs a fresh challenger. And if if TJ Dillashaw had won, there might have been some other options that the UFC could go with. You know, then Corey Sandhagen would have an argument like, "Oh, I ha- I think I beat TJ Dillashaw. I should be title contender." Merabdvajvili would have an argument. Like, I'm on a run. I deserve TJ Dillashaw. But Sean O'Malley right now, he's the biggest fight out there that the UFC can book for Sterling. So he's probably getting that title shot. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Of course, like we said earlier, the whole Cejudo thing is floating around out there. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. Like I said, Cejudo has sounded very dejected lately, not just because of that... uh, that uh, Volkanovski not being there for him to fight at featherweight thing, but also him learning that UFC fighters aren't allowed to bet on fights anymore. Dude was, he was not, he was not pleased about that. UFC fighters can't bet on fights anymore. That not according to the UFC. They sent a memo out to everybody saying, remind a, it's already illegal. So is it illegal? Yeah. Athletes are not athletes, and anyone with like insider information, trainers, coaches, all that are not legally allowed to bet on their own sports. Mm. I wonder what law that is, and what state is this law in? Is this a federal law? No, it's it's a state to state law, and it's most states. So Mm. it's, but I mean, who's going to prosecute? But wait, but wait, can they bet on other fights? No, they can't bet on any fights. Um, but it was never a UFC code of conduct thing, and so the UFC stuck it in the in their regulations as well, saying, "Oh, hey, reminder, everybody, you're not actually allowed to bet on fights." Yeah, it's probably more along the lines of, "Hey, everybody, you're not allowed to talk about betting on fights." That that could be too. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no, you never know. Like the UFC, people are like, "Oh, it's a code of conduct. Are they really going to enforce it?" And it's like, well, they they enforce the uniform regulations. You never know what the UFC's. You know where the UFC is going to find their money interests lie and what they need to regulate. Right. So, yeah. Well, there's there's definitely money in the Reebok thing or the yeah. Venom thing. I mean. And if they're, you know, I think the the concern I remember uh, 
one of our writers wrote a piece about this a couple of years ago when the UFC announced that they were trying to, to build their own sports book. Like one of the big things that was notable was that they didn't have any language in their contracts that prevented their own fighters from betting on fights and they're trying to run their own sports book. Right. And I mean, I don't care if fighters bet on fights. No, I, a lot of people don't. I don't care personally, but um, it's, it's certainly, you know, they, there's a, there is a logical reason for it across all sports. It's just sure. fighters. I think, I think it might be the biggest. Uh, if the UFC enforces it, it might be the biggest financial hit that they've they've taken since the sponsor tax. Because mm. a lot yeah, of I think it's just gonna, it's just going to go underground. Probably more than likely. But yeah, anyway. it's kind of kind of crazy. I don't think Zahudo's out there as a legit challenger until until I actually see him like get a get a real fight booked. I am just assuming. That. Yeah, no, I mean you got Marlon Vera out there too, but even with Zahudo, it's it's you got to think that O'Malley's the bigger fight in terms of draw. Yeah, yeah. like he's got a built-in audience. Yeah, and now that he beat Peter Yawn, like. Pfft. Yeah. The Sean O'Malley fans are probably going nuts right now. Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to set foot near that. Whatever corner of the internet they're on, I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. They're rabid, four loco to the gills. <laughs> anyway, shotgunning four locos. Yeah, they don't. I mean, that's not the even. They don't even do a good four loco anymore. So who knows? Who knows what those kids? True. Do shout out, shout out to the caffeinated. Yeah. The caffeinated four loco. That's what they're doing these days, these kids. But anyway, Tide Pods. Tide Pods, yeah, that's right. They're Tide Podded out out there. Uh, that, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Benil Dariush, Mateusz Gamrot. And, uh, man, great performance from Dariush. I picked him in this fight, but... I picked him as well. I was I, I was shocked at the yeah. disrespect. Shocked. Yeah, I mean, I my feeling was kind of like over five rounds, I would pick Gamrot. But in three rounds, if I'm looking at who's going to be the most violent for a three-round fight, I got to pick Dariush. Thing is, having seen this fight and the way it played out now, over five rounds, I'd probably pick Dariush again. Because oh, yeah. Gamrot, st- he, he started out with all the wrestling and all the scrambles, but Dariush defended well enough that he slowed Gamrot's game down. He took he took the scramble out of of Gamrot's game. He outscrambled him. Yeah, and that's not something easy to do. No, but Darius is that guy. Yeah, like man, I I can I I envision Dominic Cruz at home just pleasuring himself to Darius <laughs> grabbing those underhooks. I'm not sure if I've ever seen anybody just be so aggressive with the underhooks and and use it with such ferocity to avoid the takedowns. Man, where's the bleach? You want to learn how to stop a takedown? You watch Dariush. Where is the bleach and the eyewash station? I need to get that out of my mind forever. <laughs> but you know it's you know what happened though. I no, I it's lodged in there. I mean, I am crystal clear in this moment with you and I I hate it. <laughs> but yeah, no. Dariush he was fighting off all he was he was getting the underhooks he was limp legging he was turning corners with camera oh, yeah. he was steering steering wheeling uh, just everything you wanted all the perfect takedown defense and making him pay all the time too because i mean so you can defend it a lot of takedowns too from Darius, 
but he or from Gamrot rather, but he didn't have the same venom standing to make Gamrot pay so much for the effort. And Darius made him pay. And like I say, he took all the steam out of that game. And in the third round, it just felt like a fight that Benil Darius was just well in control of. Yeah, not only was he in control, but then there's like 90 seconds left, and he uncorks that overhand oh, left okay. that just drops Gamrod. And yep. it's like, damn. The disrespect. Yeah. Darius was an underdog coming into this. Like, well, why? Like who has who has Gamrot defeated that you're like oh yeah he's definitely gonna be uh, you know is is worthy of a favored position against Benil yeah. Dariush who's like who's been clawing at a title shot for how long now? Yeah, for for five years it feels like. But let's see, he last lost in 2018. So for for the last three years or so, basically like since that close win. You know, he's been he's been marching. It feels like he's been on the march for title contention, a couple of years, for a couple of years now. And uh, like he's it's in his fights, he's hurtable. Yeah, but he is just so damn good everywhere. And he's like, he's so confident. Like it's not even necessarily how good he is, but he is so you know, he he's he's in that Charles Oliveira zone where Oliveira was before this Makachev fight where. You know, he could go out there and just be trading with Justin Gagey, and you're like, man, this is a terrible idea. But Oliveira would just be so dedicated to it that he'd get the better out of it. You know, and Dariush, he he may not be the cleanest striker you've ever seen in your life, but you better be ready for somebody who is firmly planted right in front of you, seeing what you're doing, and will come back at you with something every bit as hard. Oh, yeah. And it's all muscle memory at this point yeah. for him. So he just instantly reacts, and, and he's got venom. He's got venom in his kicks. Those body kicks were giving Gamrot fits. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, like we were just talking about the knockdown, he's got power in his hands. He can take a shot. He can stuff takedowns. He can hold his own on the ground with pretty much anybody. So, uh, Eddie, Daniel Zaryush versus, versus Justin Gagey, right? Uh, Man, oh, Darius says he'll God, fight yes. anybody. He's he's out there to take fights. He's not gonna be. He's not gonna wait for a title shot. Volkanovski's already lined up for the next title shot, so you can't can't even be like oh. And and not only is Volkanovski already out there for the next title shot, but you've got Chandler mm-hmm. versus Poirier coming up, and you've got you know you've got a title picture up there that there's no guarantee. Like I said, Darius, there's no guarantee that he could ever wait. For, and just be the guy. No, he can't. Um, man, I want to say there's there's two options. You could do yeah. Justin Gaethje, or you can do the winner of Chandler Poirier. Sure, yeah, those are they're both amazing fights. Uh, there's also, I mean, if he's just willing to fight anybody and doesn't care what card he's on, and where he gets put, or whatever, there's there's uh, Rafael Rafael Fiziev too. Yeah, Fizzy is on the on the come up. Um, honestly, they could also put him in there with Charles Oliveira, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. Sure, sure. Dariush is he's 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 entered that position where any fight he you could put him in is a fight I want to see him in. Yeah, the dude's a stud. 
Hmm? I'm still blown away that he was an underdog in this fight. And he went out and he tried to convert like whole nations. So, oh my you know. God, did he not? I think <laughs> I, I think he got Jesus booed in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I think they booed Jesus. Oh, that good was, on him though. That, that it, takes balls. It's it is it is definitely a gutsy call to be like in in the UAE in Abu Dhabi trying to convert the entire nation of Iran to Christ. No, I, I'm the conviction in that man is is outstanding. Yeah. You see it in the way he fights, too. Yeah, like he is nope. so true to himself. Yep. All right. That brings us to a catchweight bout. Menon Fierro uh, against Caitlin Chukagan. Chukagan. And, uh, this was a fight. Yeah, it was. It happened. It happened. It was It was what I expected, which was that it was a lot like the Vivia Raujo-Alexa Grasso fight, where you're looking at two really close fights with really close rounds and one person's maybe edging them just a little bit here and there, and that's what you're picking on. Yeah. So. No wow moments to really draw from. No. A lot of misses. Credit to Fioro, because after the bout, she they asked her about title contention. She's like, you know, I could probably fight somebody else. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Which of course I don't think she had I don't think she had the performance she wanted or thought no, she was I'm gonna sure have. Sure she didn't. I'm sure she didn't. Which, of course, means that she should fight Alexa Grasso, right? Why not? Yeah. You can put that up on a fight night main event or, you know, whatever. That'll be... Both women are, are working their way towards contention, but have yet to actually put on the kind of performance that you're like, wow, they're just way... They are clearly at the top contender right now. This is, you know, Fiora and Chukagian looked just about as good as one another out there. Honestly, you could also just do like Chevchenko Grasso and then wait a little bit and then do uh, the winner of that versus uh, Fioro. Sure, sure. It, like it, why, why, why waste of the ultra rare flyweight contender? That, you know, there is a case to be made for that too. Probably because they don't want the fight. If she wanted, if she'd gone out there and been like, "Yes, I want Shevchenko right now," then you know, the UFC would probably give it to her. But if she's out there saying, "Hey, you know, maybe I'll fight somebody else first, then she probably will. Time will tell. Yeah, not a great fight though. I guess. Not a great fight. No. If it weren't, if it weren't for the fact that Darius Gamrot, O'Malley, Jan, and Makachev Oliveira were all so much fun. The Sterling and Dillashaw and Fioro Chukagian fights would feel like they were much more of a drag. But in the meantime, they're just kind of like, yeah, whatever they happened, who cares? All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Bilal Muhammad, Sean Brady, and uh, man, Muhammad, he he is, this is, on the flip side, this is the kind of fight where if you want to define yourself from being just a guy in the running to the guy in the running... Bilal Muhammad's out there putting on that kind of fight. Nah, he's making all the right moves. So I picked Bilal to win this fight. I did too. Um, I expected it to be just pure tactics. I expected Mm -hmm. him to um, use his strategery and just find ways to like poke and prod and win specific moments. Yep that will accumulate points to negate whatever grappling success Brady might have. Not once did I ever think Mohamed would go out there and get a standing TKO. Yeah. Never in a million years. 
I I got a I'm crediting Khabib Nurmagomedov with that. And yeah, training with him, he had he had Khabib in his ear. That pressure we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I think I think Muhammad thrives in that. And and I'm not saying that's what he needed, but it definitely didn't hinder him. And when when he he had Brady on the ropes and all his volume and pressure were accumulating, and he realized that Brady was 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 on the ropes, he just emptied his gas tank and found a way to just keep putting hands on him and didn't stop until the referee pulled him off. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he, you know, he credited Khabib. I think that's definitely a part of it. I also think that uh, it turns out that having, because I mean, Muhammad, we all know, we all know at this point, he's, he's he's an incredible game planner. He's a dude who, He's always making the right reads. He's always coming in with just the right plan to fight somebody, and he sticks to it. Yeah, high fight you. High fight you, super high. And I, it, I think it turns out also in this that the right game plan to beating Sean Brady is also a game plan that would absolutely just break Sean Brady as well, because we have seen Brady in other fights against. Guys like Michael Chiesa, guys like Court McGee, who aren't known for their striking, but who could hang well enough to just kind of like, you know, get through grappling exchanges with Brady and have more striking exchanges down the line, down the road of the fight. And just hanging in with Brady was enough to see both of them have a lot of success late in their fights. As his fights go on, Brady's striking game, it starts to erode. He starts to get less sharp. He starts to get less comfortable. His defense gets less tight. And I think having a game plan, Muhammad, his game plan was clearly like pressure this guy, keep him on the back foot, did not let him drive into takedowns where he can use his strength and power to horse me around. Keep him going backwards. And keeping Brady going backwards really just, it imploded his striking game as the fight went on. Oh, it imploded his striking game, and it really hindered his takedowns. Yeah, yeah. For no, a couple was... reasons. One, he kept Brady on the outside. So yeah. if he was going to shoot from that far away, it was going to be telegraphed. Yep. Uh, and and two, if he's going backwards, it's much harder for him to get his own offense going. He's going to have to do a lot of countering. He's going to have to be on his back foot a lot, and that's taxing. Yeah. Like That is straight-up taxing. And another thing, and – I think Brady just had some surgery on his septum in his yeah. nose. Yeah. And that jab of Bilal was just jousting it over and yep. over and over again. You could tell it, it was affecting him. Oh, yeah. It was all red. It looked like it was disrupting his breathing patterns. And yeah, he, he could, you could see in going into the beginning of the second round as the jabs were starting to add up, Brady started to look frustrated. He started to look like somebody – who was going through the mental process of like, oh God, this is happening again. What am I going to do about this? And once you get to that headspace as a fighter, like at a high level, that fight is over. You you're you are you're done. You know. Yeah, I was shocked Brady wasn't um, adamant about uh, initiating grappling exchanges in the first round. Like it seemed like he was content to just have a, a kickboxing match. And right. it's like, bro, you have a win over Craig Jones in grappling. Yeah. Like force your way. Go go Nikita Krylov and throw like a, a four piece just mm-hmm. to get close the distance and get on the inside and get your takedown. I think a big thing about it is that Brady like 
he's a strong wrestler. He's a dude, if he gets hands on you and can connect his hands, he can. He has some serious power in his wrestling game. But he's not the most technically deft wrestler out there. And I think he mostly just didn't get to it because Muhammad just outmaneuvered him. He never gave him an open chance to really shoot on him. And Brady's shot game isn't that good. You know? It just wasn't good enough to yeah. force action. It, and, like, that's not an excuse. That's something he he should have been, you know, he should, that's a hole he should be working on. But maybe he didn't know about how, maybe he didn't realize just how exploitable it was until now. Because it's the first loss he's ever taken. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, he was having a lot of success with his strikes in that first yeah. round. Yeah. He was, he was catching Bilal being aggressive and coming forward. Bilal got tagged a bunch in that yeah. first round, but he just stayed the course and... His pressure and volume won out. Yeah. I mean, Brady, you know, his hands always look sharp early. It's just the longer fights go, the harder the fight gets, the more his striking starts to, you can start to feel the gaps in it. And Muhammad just absolutely levered that open real fast. So great win for him. And in this case, yeah, I mean, I mean, man, he's in such a hard spot because Hamzat Shemaev is, you know, Dana White just talked about how he wants to have Hamzat Shemaev versus Colby Covington on the uh, in the co-main event of Usman versus Edwards three, and like if Shemaev wins that fight, hell, if Colby Covington wins that fight and Edwards is in the main event, like those guys are going to be a higher priority to the UFC than Bilal Muhammad. That sucks because Muhammad really he he is doing everything he needs to to deserve a shot. No, it's true, but at least he does have that kind of weird situation going on with Edwards. You yeah, know, they had the whole eye poke situation. Happen. Yeah, so at least there's that, and Bilal is someone willing to um, he's willing to talk that shit. Yeah, like he's one of the only guys that was calling out Hamzat when you know early yeah. on. More people are doing it now, but. He's willing to talk. He's got a social media presence. And I think the biggest thing going for him is the fact that he's uh, he's under Khabib right now. And Khabib yeah. has all the pull. It's true. Maybe that'll all so, help. Otherwise, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we end up seeing him have to fight somebody like uh, Gilbert Burns. Or, uh, you know, maybe if he's... I thought Burns... Didn't Burns just get booked? Did he? Uh, maybe I missed that. I, I saw some somewhere where he was getting... Burns was... Uh, Getting books. I don't remember who. All right, I'll, I'll check. I'll check. I'm. I'm right. Uh... Nope. No, I don't see anything about it. At least it's not on Tapology yet. It hasn't been. Uh... No, it's uh, it's with uh, Masvidal. Oh, is he getting? They're they're booking Burns Masvidal. Yeah, that's the that's the report. Okay. Wow. I'll believe that when I see it. Given how hard it is to get Jorge Masvidal in the cage these days. But, you know, it, maybe maybe Bilal will have to fight the winner of that or something. I, I would not be at all surprised if he's got to take another fight before he can get to the belt. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Kyle Bahayo against Mahmoud Muradov. And um, pretty much what I expected here, which is... I mean, Bahayo, he used he used the threat of his, gra- of his takedown game and being a blanket early to to outstrike Muradov at the beginning of the fight. 
but as the fight went on, it just became more of a Kyle Bahio shoot and take downs, getting grappling exchanges, real grimy grappling exchanges. Lot, I mean, part of it was a really talky ref who clearly wanted to be a part of the action, but there also was just a lot of Muradov with a hand in the cage, Muradov with a hand over Bahio's eyes, just really, I mean, I think Muradov is really not comfortable on the bottom, but it also turns out that Bahio is really uncomfortable in mount, so every time he'd get there, Muradov would just shuck him off and get up. Nah, I don't know if it was that or if it was um, Bahio just being um, eager to kind of yeah, just being overzealous with trying to get submissions, yeah. you know, going for the going for an arm bar off the back and just just making making errors that might work on lower level guys that yeah. won't work as he rises through the ranks. Yeah, uh, I, I, mean, I, I kind of expected him to get a submission here. I'm a little surprised he didn't. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm saying is that like he whether you want to call it discomfort or being too eager or whatever, he got to really good grappling positions and he lost them over and over again in a way like, that. Yeah, no, Murdov's best moments were gifted to him. Yeah. Here, so. Yeah. Anyway, still, you know, a very controlled fight from Bahio in the end. Still looks very much like a hot prospect in the middleweight division. I'm He's, booking, too. Why was this even made? Uh, yeah, I can't answer that. I guess uh, Murdov was probably, I'm sure, it's, well, they, I'm sure Murdov wanted to be on this card. Because he spends a lot of tra- time training out in the Middle East and has spent a lot of time fighting out in the Middle East mm. uh, and in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and those areas. Um, and then I think I would assume that Bahia was just the dude willing to step up and be like, "Yeah, I want to. I want to go out there and fight this guy." Fair enough. Just yeah. seemed a little weird. Guy coming off a loss against yeah. a guy coming off a submission loss going up against someone who is predominantly a grappler. Yeah, not a, not a great fight, not great booking, but whatever, it's in the books. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Nikita Krylov, Volkan Ozdemir. Volkan Ozdemir rolling back the clock and looking a lot like Volkan Ozdemir in, like, 2016, which is... Yeah, no time looking like old time out there. Yeah, not a, not a great... Uh, not the greatest look of for Volkan Ozdemir, because... I picked him going into this, and I picked him because Volkan Ustamir lately has been very calm and collected, sometimes even to a fault. But he's been very, like, I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to gas myself out. I'm not going to do anything foolish. Keep everything tight and controlled. And credit to Krylov, because Krylov just went out there, guns blazing, ran onto about 30 punches, and forced Volkan Ustamir to fight, to to just try to kick his ass. And... (laughs) You force Volkan Uzdemir into that kind of fight, and those are the kinds of fights where he tends to self-destruct, where he tends to, he's doing really well, and he just can't stop or control the pace, and he gets really tired, and that's what happened. Yeah, Volkan looked great for 90 seconds. Yeah. He had Krylov all sorts of hurt, shelling up in a bad way, Um, but... Krylov was able to weather the storm, survive the chaos, and just like I, I was alluding to earlier, just did a fantastic job of using his strikes to set up his takedown entries. Yeah. Yep. Fan freaking tastic. Like that's mixed martial arts. Yeah. 
very much the like one two high kick in right into a double leg or you know an overhand and a body kick right into a double leg step knee right into a clinch right into looking for a takedown very gutsy you know exactly the kind of performance needed from nikita krylov out there dude he, he looked great out there aside yeah. from the, the opening 90 seconds and I, yeah he looked as complete as i've ever seen him like yeah. sometimes we get krylov the striker and sometimes we get krylov the wrestler and this time we got Krylov, the mixed martial artist, and Ozdemir seemed to be gassed out of his mind after that first ninety-second burst. Yeah, well, I mean, like, he, just he looked got... like he was in slow motion out there. Like, yeah. It was not not good, not a, not a good look outside of those ninety seconds. Got trapped in a pace that he he just can't keep. I mean, he's never been able to keep it. It's just his recent success has been in fights where he's a lot more controlled. You know, when he beat guys like when he beat Alexander Rakic or. You know, had uh, beat Paul Craig and had a close fight that he arguably, arguably won with Dominic Reyes. These were very slow-paced, patient Volkanos Demir fights. Mm-hmm. And when Yuri Prashazka went out there and went after him, and now when Nikita Krylov went out there and went after him, they were able to just trap him into a fight that really took him apart. So. Man, I think the award for most improved FIQ has got to go to Nikita Krylov. <laughs> He's been fighting so smart, or yeah. at least, you know, in this fight. I guess you can't take much away from that Gustafson win since he just stormed his castle, which was a great idea. Yeah, no. And he was beating the hell out of Paul Craig, too, until he just threw himself straight into a sub. But... Right, that's 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 the low FIQ. Yeah, yeah. So coming out here and fighting the way he did tonight, it's... It definitely speaks volume to what he's capable of when he's putting it yeah. all together. Part of me would want to see say he should fight he should fight Anthony Smith, but I don't know when Anthony Smith is going to fight again. Dude has been absolutely snake bit with infections and injuries and all yeah. sorts of stuff. He's got a lot of miles on him. Yeah, there's a there's a fight coming up though with uh, Dominic uh, Dominic Reyes and uh, Ryan Spawn, and Krylov could take on the winner of that. Yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, he's fought a lot of guys already. Yeah, he has. He's lost a lot too. But yeah, to like the the top guys like Glover and and Jan and Ankalaev. Yeah. So. But you know, like, hang him out there in the in that ten to five range and see what he can pick up. Where's Johnny Walker? Uh, he is. It's, oh, he already fought Johnny Walker. He already fought Johnny Walker. He beat him, yeah. He, he went out there and just wrestled him through the mat. Hmm, it's, it's getting weird. Yeah. Maybe like a Jamal Hill? Yeah, if, if Hill wants to take that fight, that'd be, a, that'd be a dangerous fight for Hill to take, considering that he's right up there on the cusp of contention. Yeah, but it's also a winnable fight for him, so maybe... Sure. Sure. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout, Abubakar Nurmagomedov. Godzi uh, Omar Godjev. Um and uh good night for the Nurmagomedov camp, you know? Yeah. The Nurmagomedov camp. Uh I mean as advertised, you know. Yeah. Anyone who was fighting against one of Khabib's fighters, you know the deck is stacked against them. <laughs> like it, yeah. it just is. It's like say- not only 
like he's got all it's home field advantage. Like I feel yeah. like that's a real thing for for Khabib and and the UAE. Definitely, definitely gonna get a lot of hometown support there. I, I will say though, I was impressed that uh, Nurmagomedov. He's a dude who, you know, you would think that he'd just be an amazing lockdown wrestler and grappler because of his training lineage and all that. But he's been beat there a few times. Right. And he has trouble. He's had trouble in the past too with bigger dudes who could just scramble with him and tire him out. It's not the the most athletic guy in the world. But uh, Omar Gadziev is a big dude, and he went out there and just grappled with him, and uh, Nurmagomedov just out grappled him, and then started tagging him up later with the strikes too. So, pretty complete performance from uh, Nurmagomedov. Yeah, not bad. And it was good to see him uh, thwart those early guillotine attempts yeah. because yeah. he was really leaving his neck out there. And some of them look kind of close. So I was like, oh, yep. here we go again. Abubakar about to get submitted yet yeah. again. But he uh, he kept it together. He stayed safe. Um, you know, he got his own takedowns and, you know, did enough to to stay on top and stay in control and get himself a solid win. Definitely. That brings us to a middleweight bout, Armin Petrosian, AJ Dobson. It has to be noted here because not only did a bunch of people come to me pretending I got it wrong, but John Anik in the booth, re- watching the fights, doing all the tape study, doing all the prep, totally has the absolute wrong Armin Petrosian. Armin Petrosian is not the Italian-Armenian kickboxer who has a bunch of a bunch of a ton of pro kickboxing wins and titles and all that. That's Giorgio Petrosian's brother. Totally different dude. Mm. Five years older. This Armin Petrosian, legit, good, fought a lot on some like lower level, more regional circuits as a kickboxer, but not. Armin Petrosian, brother of Giorgio Petrosian. So okay, just gotta put that out there. Yeah, because he's like Armin Petrosian. He's got a wiki. I I got I ran my computer out of wait out of ink, printing out his Wikipedia page. Said that during the like, dude doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Come on. Anyway, anyway, uh, really, just kind of a. I mean, AJ Dobson's just not ready to be here. That's really all it is, and that was yeah pretty apparent in the Malcoon fight. He's a great athlete. He's a well-rounded fighter. He's learning a lot along the way, but you know he got out wrestled because he doesn't have the technical depth in the wrestling game by Jacob Malcoon last fight, and this fight he just went out there and kickboxed with Armin Petrosian and was just two steps behind all the way through. Yeah, he had a couple of flashes of brilliance when he would get the takedown. And it seemed relatively easy. Like, he would get the takedown, and you're like, damn, that was beautiful. Yeah. And you see Mark the Hammer Coleman in his corner going crazy, and you're like, yep. okay, maybe he's going to do something here. But uh, it just seems a little green, a little raw yep. to be at this level, fighting Armin Petrosian, who is, you know, almost infinitely more polished on the feet. Yeah. Like they look, they they didn't even look like they belonged striking against one another out there. Petrosian's all light on his feet, in and out, and whenever Dobson would throw, you're just like, huh, okay, well, I guess that's 
like it's his striking kind of still has that regional feel to him well he, he like he can uncork a really smooth one two but it, it was just there's there's one of them you know that's his one his one right. combo and he throws it once every 30 seconds and you got somebody like petrosian out there who's just like kicking the legs throwing a you know kicking the body throwing the one two looping in an overhand throwing a hook a check hook off the front leg and all that stuff. And it's just like, okay, this guy just threw three punches and landed them. And you threw one right back and it was really straight. And the the form on it was really good, but it's one to three, you know? Right. So yeah, rough, rough outing for Dobson, fine fight for Petrosian. Uh, That brings us to a flyweight bout, Muhammad Mokayev, Malcolm Gordon. And um, this is this is an interesting fight. If you're if you're a hyped if you're on the Mokayev hype train, this was an interesting fight because he struggled a little, not a lot, but a little, and in ways that I think people wouldn't necessarily quite have expected. What do you mean? Well, for one thing, his striking defense is really uh, kind of abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pissed more. I mean, every time Gordon would run flo- forward with these wild flurries, Mokayev would like run straight back to the point that it, I think there was a point even where he bounced off the cage and into a punch. Like, he just, he's not, you know, I don't know if it's overconfidence that you want to credit that to, or if he's just not a natural striker. I know he's, I know he's obviously been wrestling his whole life, so there's no reason he would be a natural striker. But he he's just clearly not thinking about like I need to be I need to be doing something for defense other than just getting away you know running away from this person getting away from these strikes as fast as possible. Yeah, no, I I definitely question how um, how his style is going to scale yeah. as he as he fights better opposition uh, because you know you kind of have to have everything at flyweight. Yeah. You can't and- just rely on your grappling that's probably the worst thing to rely on at 125 pounds because everybody can scramble yeah and there were points too where mokai got swept got his back taken got taken down like it wasn't dude he finished the uh what was it the second round he finished inside of a rear naked choke yeah he was getting strangled like i say if you're a big mokai hype hype train guy there's cause for concern here on the flip side he also just went through all that and then jumped on a sub in round three and got it. And it was, you know, like sliding off the back into an arm bar, just beautiful little submission chain there. Kids clearly got talent. He's clearly an aggressive finisher. He's clearly very good. It's just also, you know, he was talking, there, there was talk apparently that he's been calling out Brandon Royval. It's like, yeah, maybe just like, just slow down a little, like let yourself, you know, if you're in the same breath, also talking after your fight, being like, yeah, I kind of over, I kind of underestimated this opponent and I shouldn't be uh, overlooking these guys and they have a ton of experience and I don't, and yada, yada, yada. If you're saying that in the same, in the same breath, then like maybe slow down a little and get that experience. Well, I don't think it was so much the experience. He's he. I think he's speaking more to the fact of just overlooking guys who he feels like he might just be better than. Well, he also said like I'm. This guy's got ten years on me, and he's a black belt, and I'm. You know, there was right, but he was alluding to just the fact that he keeps sleeping on these guys, like in his yeah. last fight. Like you can't yeah. just run over people all the time. 
Yeah. Especially as you face stiffer competition. And especially when you got a style that in my personal opinion just it's it sucks for 125 pounds. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a tough that's a very tough uh just a tough style to have when everyone's such a just badass scrambler. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that a guy like um, Oscar Oskarov seemed like he was climbing right towards title contention, and he's hitting some hard walls with that, you know. Mm-hmm. As he, as he but I will say this, though. For that to be your style and you still find a way to get the submission and it's an arm bar, that's pretty freaking sweet. Oh, yeah. No, the kid has skills. He is a legit talent people should stay hyped on him it's just you know if this if he's talking about this as sort of a wake up call for him as well then that's a good thing yeah you you have a wake up call like that in a in a submission win yeah like that shows some maturity he's only 22 yeah so yeah a lot of time on his hands here and then uh, in the opening bout we had a uh, Carol Hosa Lena Landsberg a majority decision Hosa got a point deducted for an illegal knee, and um, otherwise, I thought it was pretty, you know, I, I guess it was sticky enough in the opening round that you could argue either way. I was fine just giving Hosa a clear uh, a clear decision on this, personally. Yeah, no, I mean, I forgot this fight even happened until you brought it yeah. up. Yeah, fair enough. Very lackluster. It should be noted, uh, what was the fight later on where somebody got kneed in the head while down again? Oh, and they didn't deduct the point. Yeah, and they didn't deduct the point. I, what was what bout was that? I thought um, it was one of Khabib's guys out there. but well, It might have been Bahayo versus Muradov. Or maybe it was Abubakar versus Omar Godziev. Yeah, I think it was that one. Um, Abubakar did the, the knee to the face. Yeah, I will say that there, I'm not going to say that it shouldn't be consistent and it shouldn't be that they both should have lost a point, but having heard enough about how refs talk about these things and how they think of them, I would be willing to bet, because it's the same ref in both fights, Yeah, that uh, the A, because Landsberg's whole knee and leg was on the mat, she was more clearly in an illegal down position, and the knee landed harder, so the ref probably. I think the ref probably felt that it had a bigger impact on the fight in that moment. Hold on, what knee landed harder? The 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 Hosa knee. I you think. mean like relatively speaking? Because I'm pretty I mean, sure that the knee of Nurmagomedov is infinitely harder than what Hosa threw or what Landsberg threw. Or no, it was Hosa. Yeah, I, I'm. Relative, I think it did more. It, it appeared to do more damage in the fight where it landed. Landsberg appeared to be more hurt by the knee that landed than uh, Omar Godziev. I mean, honestly, if you're going to get knee in the face, these are probably the softest knees to the face I've ever seen someone take. When it comes to like illegal knees, these yeah. really weren't that bad. No, they weren't that bad. I'm just saying, if I'm trying, if you're trying to decide why to figure why one got penalized and the other didn't. Refs are big on how much do they feel the need that the illegal activity impacted the fight. Remember earlier when I was saying how uh, Khabib gets all gets a, a lot of home cooking in that yep. part of the world. I mean, I'm not saying that had anything to do with it, but I I'm yeah. saying, I <laughs> the argument for why it did. But hey, if you want to, I, I made my fixed fight argument. If you want to make yours. <laughs> 
That's fine. Who am I? He went up to he went up the ref went up to Abubakar. He was like, "Don't you do that again?" And Abubakar's like, "Oh, sorry, brother." Like, yeah. If you he tap ref your brother, would <laughs> be like brother cousin. The referee might be another relative. I don't. Okay. Know. But host or uh, uh, Landsberg did verbally say, "Hey, you got to take a point, referee." That's smart. That is smart. Uh, smart work. That's a veteran move. Big time. Big time. All right. On that note, we're gonna wrap it up. It was a solid card overall. You know, yeah. a couple stinker fights, some early prelim stinkers, but who cares? Like the prelims aren't. The prelims are supposed to be less good than the main card. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's why they're prelims. We want the we want the Oliver Makachev the Jan O'Malley fights to show up big. And oh, uh, my fight of the night I, I gave to Ozdemir and uh, Krylov just for that wicked opening round. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Fight of the oh, night. Oh wait, no. O'Malley, Jan. O'Malley and Jan. What am I talking? Yep. Yeah, I think that's the well-deserved fight of the night. And then uh, yeah. Muhammad and Mukai and or Makachev. Both got uh, performance of the night, which makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Oh, yeah, because they're both uh, Khabib's guys. What? (laughs) No, they earned it for sure. All right. On that note, you can find me on Twitter at these anytime. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back. Well, actually, I won't be back. Eddie will be back in one week's time. For I you. probably won't be back either, Zane. Oh, okay. You know how we do. Nobody will be back for UFC <laughs> Apex, Cater uh, versus Allen, UFC Vegas 63. Uh, we will probably see you again on November 5th. All right. Until then, adios, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>